Hello, I'm Toby Haydock. Welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I try to guess my special guest's favourite things about their chosen Doctor Who story. Hi, Toby. It's Derek here. Thank you so much for letting me participate in this. Although I'm normally a Star Trek fan, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, will always have a special place in my heart. And it's Tom Baker who is my doctor. The serial is Mike Nightmare of Eden. And over the years, it's had a critical lambasting from fans and reviewers for various reasons. But I would like people just maybe to give it a second try. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's time for episode three of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, I am going to press play on my DVD in three, two, one, go. Um, so, oh, I love these titles. I'll say this every time. Um, but uh, there is something rather glorious about them. And they work for, uh, you know... Uh, they herald very different styles of Doctor Who between between Robot and uh, and the Horns of Nymon. They're on their way out, sadly, but uh, I think they I think they are they they, they dress everyone uh, appropriately and, and 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 start the show in considerable style. Um, I like the fact that actually uh, Fisk and uh, Costa are called Waterguard Fisk and Landing Officer Costa because even though you know they're sort of customs men. Whose whose ranks obviously hail back to the days when customs was was largely done, you know, um, at ports. Um, but uh, but I I find it, you know, it's not an oversight. It's a deliberate um, use of uh, of an arc, of a title that is no longer apposite to the surroundings. But you know, I can see why the customs people would go. Well, we will still call ourselves those things because that goes back to the early days of our of our work. So I like that. That's the sort of attention to detail that uh, Derek, uh, my guest, uh, talked about um, as his choice for uh, episode two. Um, uh, uh, so Jeffrey Hinsliff uh, was to become very very famous as a character called uh, Don Brennan in Coronation Street, uh, who was. Uh, uh, rather an unlucky character. I think he lost a leg, ended up died in a car crash. Um, was married to Ivy Tilsley, uh, a long-running character uh, in the show. And I know we tried to get him for the DVD, uh, and because they because I think they struggled to get people for Image of the Fendal as well. And he's in that too. Um, uh, and I and I think he just said, "I'd look. I don't remember anything." Uh, and he lived quite far away from London, and you know didn't want to. He. He was actually up for a part in the Foresight saga when I was up for it. He he and Frank Mills from who was also in Coronation Street, uh, from uh, Terror of the Autons, were both up for a part uh, because I always sneak a look when I'm doing an audition. I always I also I always have a look for who else is coming up, either to see who I'm up against or to see if you know what other actors are coming in that day. And they were seeing older actors for, I think, some sort of doorman sort of character. I don't think either of those two gents got it. But I remember thinking, well, if I'm auditioning for the same level of part and on the same day as those two guys, both had illustrious careers, both Dundalk 2 and Coronation Street, uh, I thought, I, I thought I'll take it. And I did get my part uh, in the Foresight Saga. Uh, did a scene. I did two scenes with Damien Lewis. Only one of them made it into the into the show. Um 
anyway, that's another story. So I do remember the the the, the scenes on Eden. This is a this is a great idea. Um, the idea of trying to conserve bits of a planet, and I don't buy the Doctor's theory that actually, um, uh, you know, you're you're conserving it like um, what jam conserves fruit or whatever. Because if there could be a, a, a an actual uh, ecological reason, a, 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 a conservation reason for. Uh, you know, t t taking bits of planets and, and 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 housing them digitally in order to, you know, preserve um, precious bits of them. I suppose it depends how directly under threat they are. Otherwise, it's the equivalent of a zoo, isn't it? Yes. So there's there's a moral issue there, but I I I like the fact it's slightly it's slightly fuzzy and that they even consider that. Um, but again, as a science fiction idea, it's it's a great idea. Let's store let's store these bits of planets. Uh, you know, on the equivalent of a slide, um, and these these scenes are very, very nicely shot. Um, the you know the lighting is is great. That the, the BBC has, I'm sure, billions of records of alieny, jungly sounds. Uh, I always maintain that Doctor Who never quite sounds as odd and strange and alien as it does in the 1960s where they have some brilliant sort of jungly alieny sounds uh, uh in some of the planets visited by the first doctor in particular um but i i think they very wisely um well there's a sort of a a a, a bit of a video disc isn't it they used to have to go and get the video disc machine from grandstand or whatever which might have used it to uh uh, uh do a, a slow motion action replay so we've we need a tendril we need a bit of tendril can we borrow the video disc and, uh, and this is this is good old-fashioned sci-fi jeopardy of uh uh malevolent plants seem to be quite a thing because there's some in megalos the, the the following year oh does he bite the he bites the tentacle doesn't he um uh, I can imagine Tom Baker biting, a taking a chunk out of a tentacle when he's in a bad mood. Oh, that's pretty grim, isn't it? Uh, quite, what, whatever he's doing there, he, he spurts the juice of a tentacle into the mouth of a plant. Uh, and that's enough to see them both done for. Uh, I sort of forgot about that, but it's quite grim, isn't it? He's got some green goo on his face. Um, that's, that, that's Tom getting down and dirty. That's Tom Baker, the doctor, getting very down and dirty in the jungle. Which is but, but nicely shot, and that's you know as a as a short piece of you know early episode Jeopardy in a new environment. I think the Venus flytrappy thing and the and the and the video disc tendril are are, are, are fine. Um, yes, I was sad when uh, when I heard that uh, Peter Craze had died because uh, I'd, I'd 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 done a commentary with him f for this for for. Phantom Films, uh, oh no, for 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 not for, for for the Space Museum and for his episode of the of the War Games, but I'd done and I'd done the commentary with him for this for for the BBC, and I liked him very much, and I know friends of friends um, hold, held him in very high regard as a as a as a drama teacher, um, uh, and he was yeah he was a nice guy, um, uh, and I knew he'd had a stroke, but he he he's you know. I'd met him post-stroke, and he'd seemed in in fine fettle. But of course, our hero, but Jeremy Bullock is somebody that I considered to be quite young. Um, 
Oh, and Jer- isn't that interesting? Jeremy Bullock and Peter Craze were great mates, and they're both cast by Alan Bromley, but in different Doctor Whos. Um, I'd like to get an angle on Alan Bromley, really, because I think he was somebody that we, we wrote off as, because he was always talked of as this sort of senior guy, um, and uh, you know, and this is sort of seen as the twilight of his career. I think we assumed that he'd sort of... Uh, you know, died in the eighties and nobody had noticed. A bit like John George Spenton Foster, the other director that that from from this sort of time that nobody uh, managed to speak to. And actually, they died much later than you would have thought. Uh, I think Alan Bromley was st- still around in the early nineties. Um, he was married to June Ellis, uh, 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 a blonde uh, character actress. Uh, who's in the film of Quatermass and the Pit, amongst other things. Uh, and she's in uh, the Prisoner episode, The Change of Mind. Um, and she was around until more recently. And I think some people did did speak to her and I think maybe got the odd telesnap off of, of, of some other stuff. No, she'd lent the telesnaps to somebody else and never got them back. That was right. Um, but I think, yeah, June Ellis spoke to some people. But, um, yeah, we've not quite got an angle on, on Alan Bromley. And that's a... That's a shame because it would be it would I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about him. Uh, is there a documentary in the offing? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if he'd be considered a big enough figure, but uh, I certainly don't quite think we've got to the the full story of 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 what happened here. Um, he says th- the name Stott, doesn't he? Which I like. Uh, uh, it's it's just quite cool in a in a seventies man who drinks coffee and puts his hands on his hips kind of way. Um, he's it, it, it's his it's it, it's sort of like if Gareth Hunt's unavailable, uh, I shall be. He's he's very handsome. He's got a very solid presence. And again, it's sort of welcome in a story where the performances are a bit uh, wayward. Um, he's uh, you know he's he's dependable and he's straight straight down the line. Uh, uh, and uh, you know gives it that sort of leading man straightness that it sort of needs i like his he's got a scar as well because he's been he's been grabbed by the mandrills uh but uh barry andrews uh we couldn't get for the commentary either um uh because i i I think he sort of rather withdrew from public life for, for various reasons um uh so uh He's an he's another one from Nightmare of Eden that hasn't been particularly interested in engaging with uh, the public. So I, I, don't, I don't think Nightmare of Eden is 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 the connecting issue between Jeffrey Bateman and Barry Andrews and Jeffrey Hinsliff and Jennifer Lonsdale and David Dacre. Uh, I don't think they all went. We were in Nightmare of Eden. And we're never talking to anybody again. Uh, I think it's probably because they just went, I can never remember if it's called Nightmare Of or Nightmare On, so I'd rather not engage. Um, but it, it, as I say, it did mean that we scrabbled about a bit for... We ended up getting quite a good mix. I, it's, it's one that I always think of apologising for and then going, actually, it was a, it was a, it's a perfectly good commentary. It, uh, it, has, uh, uh, it has the writer, it has the visual effects guy, and it has two cast and uh, makeup. That's that's a perfectly good commentary. That's a But... but I know we literally got everybody that we could. Um, uh, that was a that, that that CSO was a bit uh, bits vanished there, um, and also Stott waited for quite a long time for the Doctor to join so that he could then say, "Look out, Doctor!" But uh, that's the nature of uh, 
CSO and stuff. C- C- I haven't talked much about K9. Um, some people hate K9, don't they? I love K9. Um, but I, I, I do prefer the John Leeson K9, if I'm honest. Um, and although, no, because my earliest memory is of, of The Invisible Enemy. Um, but I, I didn't realise as a kid that K9 was done by different people. I remember I discovered that, I think, in Doctor Who, a celebration. and went, really? Um, and it was quite, and again, because we got these, the videos of this era quite late, I didn't I didn't come across the Briarly uh, K9 until quite, quite late in the day. Um, and I think bits like that with him sniffing and stuff where, again, I think, I think K9 is funny when K9 is played straight, not when K9 joins in with the joke. And I think that's what happens mistakenly sometimes in season 17 is that people join in with the joke and it's actually better if if you don't. Now, I think they get killed, don't they? Yeah, yes, that's right. Oh, that's that's pretty grim. Um, although that's, yeah, that, that's, that's um, I don't know how Richard Barnes is, is killed there. He's, 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 he's sort of, but, but of course, th- this is a glorious moment because... Are are we breaking the fourth wall? Is you know are some are some not very good monsters killing some not very good extras, um, and and are the viewers going? Oh, that's a bit rubbish. And then it cuts to 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 one of the characters in it going that that's stuff, but he's doing it because he's high on high on drugs. So you could say that's a very clever and artful uh, breaking down of the fourth wall. Um, uh, 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 you, you know, commenting on its own artifice, um, but that's a great line. They're only economy class, and 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 I like Costa's revulsion at what. So it's you know, it's not sending it up completely because because there is another character on hand to say you're out of order, and of course, um, Rig has a reason to to act so callously and in a, such a cavalier way because he's high on drugs. Um, what is Stott doing? Stott, Stott's got Stott didn't really know what's going on there, and that that uh, that mandrel was a bit zippy and a bit. Is uh, it got mandrel crotch? It got uh, it got uh, gusset rot. Uh, that uh, that mandrel, um, and oh, and you can see the bottom of its feet. Uh, it's, they're, they're a funny mixture, aren't they? The, the the mandrels because elements of their costume are absolutely fabulous and elements of their costume are really not very good at all oh and i just saw a member of the crew to the left hand side of the screen um uh can i say i don't like lala ward's dress in this is that allowed uh it's 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 like a maternity dress she needs a belt and uh, who am i to tell lala ward lala, lala ward how to dress she's a very 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 stylish woman but uh, i don't think that's her finest wardrobe moment um uh Um, so yes, breaking of the fourth wall with, uh, with Rig laughing, but that, that economy class line is, is very, very good. Um, and yes, when, when that mandrel killed, uh, Richard Barnes, it did sort of, it just sort of rubbed him on the shoulders a bit and he had to do his very best. Um, uh. And this crewman is Sebastian Stride, who has just 
as I record this. His death has just been... I never knew it. I didn't really know anything about him at all. But he got a, a little piece in The Guardian because he was quite well known as a sort of pub singer, uh, guitar player uh, in certain uh, London pubs. Died relatively young. 65 is no age these days. But if... Uh, you know, I think... You know, he, these, those are the sorts of people who, you know, will have been around. He was around for episodes three and four recording, uh, would have been worth talking to uh, and getting their memories down. Um, but, uh, you know, often they're hiding in plain sight and you don't find out about them until they, they pass away, which is uh, what he did, sadly, very recently. Sebastian Stride, but there's some footage of him on YouTube uh, singing in uh, singing in the pub, uh, which was nice. And it's, it's where I... When I spend an afternoon, you know, getting the measure of somebody I will now never meet, but who I acknowledge as uh, as a contributor to this great TV show, and uh, you know, will have immortality because they are a name on the list of people that have been in Doctor Who, and that's uh, that's a that's a great list to be on. And I, as I say, I salute all of those people. I like Tom Baker's tartan trousers. Um, in fact, I like his I like his costume. Full stop. I, I think the you know the the look of Tom Baker is a, is a genius look. Um, uh, it's it's quite good casting, isn't he, Jeffrey Hinsliff? Because he's he's the typical sort of s small man, and the the way that it's shot sort of emphasises that um, uh, overcompensatory small man. You could bet he overtake you on the motorway quite a lot. Um, I mean, I mean Fisk. Uh, not Jeffrey Hinsliff. I don't know how. I'm sure he drives marvellously. He didn't in Coronation Street. But again, that was his character. So these two characters are behaving very suspiciously. And I think I, as a kid, went, oh, I think the... Because Dimond is quite a good character because he's not in it that much. Um, but he's in it enough to make himself known. So he's a really good choice to be one of the bad guys because he has to be there because he's the captain of the other ship. So... It's one of those surprises where, as a kid, you have an inkling that he might be in on it, and then you feel good about yourself that he is. Whereas I think it's it's no surprise that uh, Trist is a bad guy, um, because, um, well, it certainly isn't now, after that very shifty conversation they had in the corridor. But, uh, you know, I, I think Trist is well-placed to be the bad guy, and, and I think the performance nods you or goose steps you in that direction if you want to go there um yes uh so that's uh i mean tom baker sends sends send, sends it up a little bit um and uh, and it's interesting what what battles directors will have had with their their leading man but he did he did behave for people that he respected uh, and and you can tell when he's with an actor that he respects as well because he uh, you know he does he, he he does change the pitch and tone of his performance and he's quite deferent to uh, Beatrix Lehman in the Stones of Blood and deferential to to her and to uh, to Graham Crowden a little bit in uh, in the Horns of Nyman he knows there's no point in trying to compete with Graham Crowden um Whereas, uh, I mean, he has a great moment with with Louis Viander in uh, in episode four, um, uh, but but the rest of the times it's not really. I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I, I I don't think it creates the comic energy that perhaps uh, was an 
was anticipated when some of that was being come up with. Oh, and that's a bit like the bit with the Marsh Child in uh, in uh, Full Circle, where he says, you know, no to a, a a creature who doesn't understand that if it thwacks a bit of technology, it's gonna uh, die. That is a brilliant, brilliant effect. It's a same the same that the last bit of it is slightly rushed, but that collapse augmented with a bit of video effect, uh, and then this absolutely superb idea i've seen it written up as being a, a daft idea why wouldn't the desiccated the um the uh uh petrified um the rotten old degenerated state of a living creature when it you know when it when it becomes dust why would that not have different qualities? Why would that not become just the same as we become? Uh, well, I, no, I suppose our bones are already are already uh, calcium and stuff, aren't they? But but I, I I think it's a perfectly acceptable and in fact a very very good science fiction idea that the that the drug that we're looking for is actually the. Uh, the, the the decayed remains of the monster, which of course is a brilliant way of smuggling a drug, because we assume that mankind found it when it went to the planet of the mandrels, and you know somebody found some just like we discovered alcohol by eating rotten fruit. Somebody discovered uh, uh, Vraxoin by eating multi mandrel. Uh, I think that that works perfectly fine for me, and it's a great way to smuggle a drug. You smuggle it as the living creature, you get it to the other end, uh, and and you and you kill the you kill the monster, and you and you get the drug. David Dacre's great in this scene. Um, so I I could have chosen him for I could have chosen him for this episode really, and perhaps I should have done, but I chose him for last episode. But if Derek chooses him for this episode. Because Derek's not choosing specific to episodes, really, is he? He's sort of choosing general things one at a time, which is fine. That's legitimate. But if he chooses after me, uh, I think I get the point for that. Um, but I, I, that's why I was annoyed when we got this as a as a compilation, uh, because David Dacre's not in episode four, so I didn't know where he appeared on the credits, because uh, <laughs> we only had the credits for episode four. Uh, he gets second guest billing for those of you that worry about such things, um, but it's it's rather a sad end for for Rig because he's he's actually done nothing wrong at all, um, uh, uh, but of course, and he's perfectly placed plot wise to stop Ramon. Gosh, Tom's Baker's very sweaty there. Doctor Who is very sweaty. Um, so yeah, that's that's really unfortunate for for poor old Captain Rig, who gets who gets shot dead. Um, uh, by Fisk, who's um, not not really saving Romana because he 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 wants to kill her as well. Um, but 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 that's great because that just escalates the tension. You think she's you think she's safe, but actually she's just got she's under a different sort of threat. Uh, and I and I like the uh, you know he's he's pointing the gun at her, and we're at the end of the episode, and she's got to press the button. That's a very Doctor Who. He's all sorts of Doctor Who stuff going on here. 
you know, military man with a, or a customs man with a gun and laser gun. She's got to press a button. Uh, we're running out of time. The doctor's under threat for the monster. Uh, 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 well, oh no, he's that the monster's gone, but he's he's under threat for the. We're doing the thing. We're undoing, trying to undo the thing that has happened at the very beginning of the story, which is this great uh, wheeze of having the two ships uh, metamorphosed together. Uh, and I remember this i remember this episode ending i mean i remember standing in the we called it the utility room it's like a sort of pantry and adjunct to the kitchen in in the old house i lived in in the countryside and isn't this isn't one of these effects a first uh in 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 this that's look in a proper documentary they'll talk about what's a first in this but i think that special effect might be a first um and i remember I remember that. I didn't really understand the complexities of the story, but I, I knew that the ships were being pulled apart and that, that I got the idea that the Doctor was sort of torn between one and the other. Uh, and I remember that image. That's a great image of the Doctor. It looks like he's sort of being rent asunder uh, because you know the ships are being sort of separated and the Doctor's sort of in the, the, the void between the two. Uh, again, without really understanding the science of it, uh, I totally got the jeopardy. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that's great. I are you a are you listening? Are you a season seventeen hater? Have we got over our hatred for 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 season seventeen? I know it's stylistically. Um, I mean, I don't look. I'll be honest. I don't think season seventeen is as good as the uh, as the Holmes Hinchcliffe stuff. I don't think it's as, it's it's a, a good quality of product. Um, uh, you know, the production values aren't as good. I think the tone of the Hinchcliffe home stuff is absolutely perfect. And I think the key to time sort of balances its season, balances its humour slightly better than season 17. I think it does go a little bit too wayward. And yet there are, there are some great, some of the humour in, in this is fantastic. And Douglas Adams' presence is, is, is very, very welcome. I think the fact that it's coupled with occasionally production values that are struggling uh, and a, a, a Tom Baker who is 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 clearly uh, feels he wants to push it as far as he possibly can. I th so I I think the critical mass that is reached. I think there's perhaps one too many too too many elements where it's that are slightly wayward. That means I can understand um, why perhaps you know season seventeen um, is felt to be. Um, you know, part part of a decline. And Doctor Who goes in a totally different direction for season 18. I love season 18. I actually, I, I found season 18 a little bit, beige is the wrong word, but a little bit prosaic at the, the, the time. I still loved it because it was Doctor Who. But uh, I think I I think I loved this this more. This was more frightening and ex exciting. It was all a bit mathematic and, and ponderous music for me, season 18. I love season 18 now. And I'm just talking about my memories as a kid. You, you, I went from being, you, you know, the biggest Doctor Who fan in the world to slightly disappointed by Doctor Who quite quickly because I'd got into the past and, and the past was unreachable, whereas the present was 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 there. Where's the where's the excitement in that? I mean, it was still the best thing on telly and my favourite programme. But extraordinary, isn't it? How we can go to be slightly disappointed with what we've got almost immediately. Uh, but. But I think season seventeen is 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 much more highly regarded now. But I, 
I think, you know, like the gunfighters and various things, I think it's it, it, it has a hangover of a reputation. It might, it will never quite escape. I mean, I know some people absolutely love it, which is why I would also say, yeah, but I, I think, you know, as, uh, objectively, I, I I couldn't say it is it is it is better than than the previous seasons although it, you know it is terribly entertaining and i think this is great i'm i'm really enjoying i'm really enjoying this i'm aware that i'm talking all the way through it though uh, as well but i think it's i think it's fun and it's certainly not dull and it's brimming with ideas so what's my favorite thing about episode 3 well it's got to be the confluence of the idea that the drug of Raxoin is the petrified remains of the monster, which brings in that great idea. Uh, it, well, it's a great science fiction idea, but also it's a great way of smuggling the drug. That's so clever. Uh, and the fact that it's rendered through an, an excellent special effect. So that, 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 that sequence, but also it's, you know, the presence of that idea in the plot. That is my thing for episode three. What has Derek chosen? Now, he just seems to be choosing different elements of the story one by one, which is fine, perfectly legitimate. But that means if he chooses something that I've already chosen, I do get a point. So I'm living in hope that he might pick something that I've already picked. Let's see. The third thing I liked about this was the scientific notions behind it. You had a drug so potent, so dangerous that... They destroyed the planet where the original source of it was from. You have creatures that break down into this monstrously addictive drug. You have transdimensional storage spaces for endangered species. You have two ships phased together, locked molecularly, because one of them came out of hyperspace too soon. All of these high-tech ideals that drove the story were just so far ahead of its time i think well now there you go now he's been very clever of course because he's in one fell swoop he's chosen two of the things that i've chosen so i don't know how that works i might need to get the commentary ombudsman in to <laughs> to adjudicate because um i i, I have he's his well that means i guess that i've taken two goes to to wipe out one of one of his so i get a point but it's taken me two potential points to get that point i i guess that guess that's uh, uh the way it is but yes oh and i yes i've forgotten about it. of course they did they destroyed yeah they 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 would destroy the planet to get the to to to, to wipe out all trace of the of the vrax um but yes, it is. It, I could have, if I'd been sensible, because uh, I was actually, I was, I'd got in the back of my head to choose the CET machine next week, which I'm now not going to be able to do. Of course, I've got to choose two things next time, my thing for episode four and the bonus thing. Uh, so there's still a chance if I choose two things and Derek, and 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 Derek, and they're the same as Derek's, or Derek chooses two things that I've already uh, chosen so i'm i'm living in hope i'm not doomed like some vrax snorting miscreant um but yeah i think derek and i are on the same page there this is a really imaginative hats off to bob baker it's a really imaginative use of doctor who's format 
you know, it's a story of monsters on a spaceship, people trapped on a spaceship with with deadly monsters that kill people, which is great familiar Doctor Who stuff. It's got a jungle that's got deadly tentacles and things and green spurting goo and, you know, um, sh- shadows where things with claws attack you. Great Doctor Who-y stuff. But it's also got uh, ideas at its core that are unique to this story uh, and, and make this story um, hugely recommended in... in that regard uh and if your taste for doctor who is is the slightly broader performances and the slightly more anarchic style of 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 the the central character fully unleashed then this is a heady brew for you if you're slightly queasier about you know arch performances and and uh you know undergraduate humor and tongue-in-cheek style i still think you can applaud the notions at its core um so i uh, I'm not having a nightmare uh, on Eden. I'm having a lovely little daydream. Uh, but uh, it is actually... Um, uh, and the title's clever as well, isn't it? Because Eden, of course, is is paradise. And uh, well, we'll get on to the name Eden uh, next, uh, next week because there's a nice little gag, uh, a casting gag, my favourite. But let us not anticipate uh, what's going to happen next week because that is the end uh, of episode three of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I hope uh, you don't awake in a cold sweat screaming about your mandrels. And if you do, I'll be back to reassure you in the next episode of Happy Times and Places. Thank you ever so much for listening and I will speak to you next time. Ta-ta. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke. My special guest this time around is Derek O'Brien, who is a skilled and prolific writer of Star Trek universe fiction on his blog spot, ussshorefoot.blogspot.com. So please do check that out. Uh, I'd like to thank my patrons, who include... Mark Owen, Keith Perry, Dylan Reese, John Rivers, Matt Sawyer, Keith Say, Len Stewart, Nick Temple, Sabrina Terabassi, Reynard Toombs, Apollo C. Vermouth, Gary Wales, Adam Westwood, Rich Wiggins, Michael Williams, Andrew Willis, and Stephen White. The music for this podcast is specially written by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you like to join the list of patrons who include Mark Owen, I'm going to be saying his name a lot because, well, that's our little secret. Um, But thanks to Mark Owen and all the patrons who you can join if you go to www.patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. I know I don't need to say the www dot bit, but I started, so I carried on with gusto. Uh, You can become a patron for as little as £3 a month. Uh, There are various different tiers. It's largely one size fits all, but the higher tiers do qualify for badges. But generally, everybody gets the advanced material, the exclusive releases uh, and some uh, other sort of extra podcasting goodness. Those can be found, as I say, www.patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. 
monthly subscriptions are tough. I know we're in the middle of a pandemic and lockdown and times are generally tight all round. So a one-off payment is possible at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby You can throw the three W's at that as well if you like. Or you can do what is absolutely free and that is fine too because I'm just mostly grateful to you for being here and listening and downloading and all of that stuff. But if you get on social media and say nice things and if you go to your podcast supplier and give these a five-star rating and perhaps even a few words of positivity in the reviews, that really helps with my algorithms. And my algorithms, they're aged old things and they need all the help they can get. And check out my YouTube channel, my website, www.tobyadoke.com. And I have a channel, twitch.tv forward slash excessmalarkey, that does live comedy every Tuesday at 8pm GMT. But old shows and clips are up there at all times as well. (laughs) 